Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number seven in this series called Drawing Near to God. Man, I love this series. I I just love the whole idea of coming to grips with the fact that, that God really wants us to draw near to him. It's kind of an interesting thing that we might ask, well, why doesn't God just draw near to us? Why doesn't he just come and make us do stuff? I mean, he's God. He's in control of everything, right? Wrong. God is not in control of everything. As a matter of fact, when it comes to planet Earth, man is, in fact, in control of everything because God gave authority of of planet Earth to man. You know, uh, read uh, uh, Mark, uh, the parable in Mark chapter 12, and you'll come to understand that planet Earth was leased out, if you will, it was legally leased out to man. We are the delegated authorities of God here. He owns planet Earth, but until Jesus uh, returns and establishes New Jerusalem here on planet Earth, and the real truth is we are in charge. The Earth has not become what God wanted it to be necessarily. It has become what man wanted it to be. Now, I'm telling you, religious people will fight with you. Everybody thinks God's in charge. If God's in charge, then he is the most wicked being in all of creation. And really, that one doctrine that God is in control of everything has turned more people against God than anything else. As a matter of fact, the, the Satanists use that argument. Say, look, God's God. He's the creator. He's in control. And if he's in control, that means if there's wars, if there's pedophiles, if there's perverts, if there's murders then evidently God wants them because he's in control of everything. No, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible's never said that. And I'll tell you, the moment you come to realize that you have authority because you're created in the likeness and image of God, uh, everything about how you understand God, how you understand your role in planet Earth, and how you really uh, can surrender yourself to God and allow him to use you to do uh, phenomenal things here. But... uh, that's a, that's a series all by itself. But God, well, the reason I, I went into that is because you have to understand, not only is God not in control, but since God gave us authority, the, the truth is God will never violate our will. He He draws us, he, he compels us, he speaks to us, he woos us. He does everything that he can do uh, to inspire us to follow him, to trust him. He's given us all the information we would ever need to see how incredible he is. And the real question is, do we believe it or not? That's it. And if we don't believe it, then we consider him to be a liar. We reject his word and uh, we run away from God. So, you know, the Bible says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Now, you're not earning God drawing near to you. It's that when you or when I draw near to God, I am indicating that I want this connection with God. You know, I'll tell you what, I just uh, spent some time the last couple of weeks uh, talking to a young lady. I'm so impressed with this young lady. And 
man, she came out of a lifetime of horrible sexual abuse. And the journey that God had to take her on uh, was so phenomenal. It was really interesting that she noticed that uh, every time God gave her a new breakthrough and coming out of the pain of the past, she had this sense as if God was asking her permission. Now, most of us will never have a sense of that literal, but I want you to understand something. God can't do anything in your life uh, if you don't give him permission. And there's a lot of things that we say we want God to do, but we never give him permission to do it unless we, you know, we, we, we want to know, are you going to do it my way? Are you going to do it the way my denomination believes it? Are you going to do it the way I read the Bible, the way I understand it? And so, so God is on this uh, loving relationship journey with us where he never forces us. And the honest truth is we draw near to him. He is going to meet us. He's going to be right there actually waiting on us to connect with us and draw near to us. Now, so this week uh, we're talking about, we're, we're going to answer this question. Am I supposed to be afraid of God? Man, I'll tell you, I've talked about this a couple of messages back. And if you haven't, you probably want to go back and listen to or watch all the videos uh, on impactministries.com uh, about this series. I'm getting great testimonies about, about this series. And, uh, you know, we start talking about the whole thing where religion uses fear to try to, uh, uh, as a manipulation to get people to serve God and to live supposedly godly lives. And, uh, and, and, you know, I've talked at length about how that is not how we were designed. We are designed to respond to love. Faith works by love. In other words, uh, you can trust. Faith is just trust. You trust the person that you believe loves you. And uh, the more religion makes people afraid of God, the less people trust God. Therefore, the less people follow God, less people walk with God. And so... But, but I want you to understand something. One of the most unique thing about the language of God, which is the Hebrew language, uh, the language of God, uh, every word, every letter, of course, has its own definition in the Hebrew language. But every word in the Hebrew language and every letter in the Hebrew language has what you would call a light side and a dark side. And one of the things that we understand through the Hebrew language is that um, it's not a it's not the kind of language that you just learn it and everything has one fixed definition. Every word has one fixed definition. Every, every word, you know, you, you you come out with the same conclusion. Everybody reads it. Everybody gets the same definition. No, actually, the truth is, uh, many words in the Hebrew language will have not only will they have several definitions, but there's always a place where you either go to the light side. Uh, which I call the life side, or you go to the dark side or the death and destruction side. And you will go to the light side or to the dark side based on your view of God. If you believe what God has said about himself from the, you know, from the book of, uh, or from the book of Genesis, from creation, all the way through to him delivering us from the Antichrist, if you believe what he declares about himself, you will always understand and perceive God's word from the light side, and you'll always get life from the word of God. But let me read a couple, a couple of scriptures here. Let, let's just see if we've got a contradiction here, and let's see if maybe we can understand this light side, dark side concept. Man, a powerful scripture for me has helped me all of my life as a believer. 
in Romans chapter five, verse eight, it says, God demonstrates his love uh, or his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than having been uh, justified or declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Now that's, to me, that is such an incredibly powerful scripture where it's saying, look, if God loved you enough that when you were a sinner, when you were wicked, when you were ungodly, he recovered you, he drew you out of that sin, how much more can you realize now that you have actually been delivered from wrath? In this series on drawing near, we're going to talk about the Passover. And uh, according to according to when you're watching this, this uh, series originally came out uh, uh, during uh, what we call Easter, I, I hate that terminology, that's a pagan terminology, but anyhow, uh, during what we call Easter, and it's amazing to me, the Passover, which which is where we celebrate Jesus being crucified, and then uh, the first fruit, three days after Passover, is where we celebrate Jesus being raised from the dead. And so, uh, uh, so the amazing thing from that is this is where you start your journey with God. And the message, the one message uh, of Passover or of resurrection is the fact that you are delivered from wrath. You do not have to be afraid of God. See, when God said, be holy because I'm holy, he's saying, uh, he's saying be uncommon. Don't believe like all the other religions of the world. Don't believe like all of the other uh pagans who have pagan ideologies about their gods because their gods are angry and wrathful and everything that you do you do to try to get them to uh uh, uh to not hurt you you try to appease them and all this kind of stuff so passover which is really what romans chapter 5 verse 8 is talking about is saying look this thing started out when you were a sinner uh jesus became your passover lamb and how much more now that by his blood you've been made righteous, you do not have to be afraid of wrath. So we, we, we've got this, this, this whole concept here. First John 4, 17, scripture, everybody loves to quote, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we in this world, there is no fear in love, because perfect love drives out or casts out all fear. Now, so, so, and it says that the person who has been made perfect in love uh, is not going to have fear. Now, I'll tell you, I, I, people that I love, and I think they're great preachers and teachers, make a mess out of these passages of scriptures. They try to act like we should, like the fact that God loves us means we should automatically not have fear. No, it says the person who has been perfected in love, the person who's been brought to the goal. Uh, of God's love. That, that doesn't mean that, you know, you know, God loves the whole world, but the world is running wild on fear. But anyhow, I don't want to get too far off that. So, so we got these scriptures that, that, that talk about this. And then we, we, we touched on this last week, but then we have scriptures that talk to us about the fear of God and the value of having the fear of God. And so we're like, oh, wait a minute. I, we got these scriptures here that tell us that we shouldn't be afraid of God. Then we got these other scriptures that tell us we should be afraid of God. You know, I was talking to somebody just the other day, and, and uh, they have decided to go off into a lifestyle that's totally, totally destructive. 
And I'm not saying that God doesn't love them. I'm not saying they can't go to heaven. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't die for their sins, but I'm saying uh, their life is going to be a total torment because they're, they're, you can't violate the principles of love and righteousness and actually ever have righteousness, peace, and joy. You're always, always, always going to be tormented. So one of the excuses uh, one of these people I was talking to uh, used was like, look, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. It's just full of holes. No, it's not. Problem is, the problem is when you find something that appears to be a contradiction, and this is what so many groups do, is we never consider the possibility that maybe the contradiction is we don't understand it. No, we're going to blame God. We're going to assume we're smarter than God. We know the language better than he did. He is too stupid to say what he really means. And I got news for you. I've been studying the Bible over 50 years in the original language. I've never yet found a contradiction of, of, any, of any kind, not a scientific contradiction, not a biological co contradiction, no contradiction whatsoever. So we, but we learned, for example, uh, last week we talked about the fact that, that there are at least five, there, there are six different sources of fear, but there's also five different kinds of fear that the Bible refers to there uh you know the bible actually makes uh, a reference to emotional fear to intellectual anticipation of bad things happening uh to uh, a, a fear that will cause you to come into behavior modification uh fear that will affect your your religious worship and but then there's also the word fear can uh be a reference to having reverence, respect, adoration, and all. And so the question is not always how do I interpret the word fear or how do I interpret the concept of the fear of God, but the, the real question becomes how do I see God? You know, when you uh, do translation work in the Hebrew language, uh, I believe it, I, I, and I may I may get I may get this number wrong, but I, th I think the ancient Hebrews said there are 50 faces to the Torah. And, uh, and what they were saying, there's at least 50 ways. I, I think it was 50. Could have been 70. I think it's 50, though. But there's at least 50 different ways you could, you could actually interpret uh, a Hebrew word or a Hebrew scripture, and all of them would probably be right. And then at the end of everything that you do, let's say you go through 49 different possibilities of what this scripture is saying to you. Uh, and, and my Hebrew teacher, Kaim Bentor, which I'll tell you what, I, I studied Hebrew for years, got nothing out of it. And uh, when I took a class uh, from him, his promise in that class was that uh, at the end of that class, you would be uh, translating at a graduate level. And I'm, you know what? Uh, by reading one of his books and learning how to use the tools properly, that's exactly what happened. By the way, Impact International School of Ministry very soon will be releasing our, our own Hebrew uh, translation class that anybody can use. Anyhow, I don't want to go too far in that. So uh, the ancient Hebrews said, after you go through all of these different possibilities, of how a word could be translated, the very last thing you would do is you say, okay, in light of all of these things, 
that that I sense that God is saying uh, or, or that I'm seeing in this today, what is God saying to me? How am I going to put this into practice? Man, I'm telling you what, you talk about bringing Jesus uh, teaching right down to the nail of putting things into practice, faith uh, without works is dead. I mean, you, you just go into all of these things that people argue about today, about the faith and works and grace and faith and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, the reason you think there's contradictions is because you got a one-dimensional way of looking at things rather than saying, oh, well, wait a minute, let's, let's find out what the Bible is saying and let's, you know, let's nail it down in a responsible way. But then I need to understand very importantly, what is God saying to me? So we discovered last week that the whole concept of the whole phrase of, of the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. And let me tell you, there's a, at least, I think, maybe 80, uh, around 80 different times that the Bible uses the phrase, the, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. And you find that every time the benefits of having the fear of the Lord or the fear of God in your life is incredibly positive. And, and you start realizing maybe there's something I don't understand about this phrase, uh, the fear of the Lord. So the word fear, like I say, if you, if you look at the negative side of it, it can be a negative emotion. It can be uh, negative intellectual thoughts. You can turn it into to religious fear where, where you go through religious performances, religious sacrifices, all these kinds of things. There's all these negative places that you can go. Or you can say, really, I just have incredible awe and respect. You know, many of you have heard me talk about my Uncle Bobby, Bobby Good. Uh, you know, I preached his funeral just a year or two ago. He was the man who had more influence on my life uh, than anybody. And he was the man that actually had more influence on my life for God than anybody ever has. And what's interesting, he never talked to me about God one time ever, ever, ever. But when I was a kid, I ran away from home and I went and lived with my aunt and uncle, uh, Bobby and Dale Good, and they were they lived in Winchester, Tennessee, and and so I, I just ran away from home and and went over there and and they let me live with them and and you know I'm sure they contacted my mother. I didn't know where they did or where they didn't. I just I just knew that I needed to get away from home. Home was a dangerous place for me, and so prior to going to live with my uncle Bobby, man, I had a foul mouth. I cussed. I got in fights. I stole stuff. I broke into places. I mean, I was just a little hellion on my way uh, to the penitentiary. And so when I moved to my, with my aunt and uncle, I so respected my uncle. This There, there was not fear of, of him hurting me. There was not fear uh, in any kind of negative sense of the way. I could not imagine destroying this relationship with this one person that I really, really, the only man in my life that I believe loved me. And this fear of God or this fear of the Lord that the Bible talks about that is such a healthy, positive thing is where you value your relationship with God so very, very much that you're not going to let anything run the risk of hurting that relationship. Now, a lot of people say, I can't hurt your relationship. You're in Jesus. 
and you've been made righteous as God and Christ. So bing, bing, bing. And basically, they're legalists, and they just don't know it because, because it doesn't matter that you're in Christ uh, as far as if the relationship is affecting you, if it's helping you. So many Christians, they, they, made, they prayed a sinner's prayer. They were serious about it. But it's not helping their life any because they're not experiencing it in their heart. It is not influencing their life. So their, their, their relationship with God never, ever, ever really becomes experiential. It never uh, brings them to a place where it influences the way they think or where they manage their life. Now, you know, um, uh, of course, today, you know, we got this horrible battle going on out here between, you know, with people thinking that uh, everything, anything that has to do with responsibility or obedience is legalism. That's crazy to even think that. And and we approach God really as a, as a form of Calvinism. God's in control of everything. So I live under grace, which means live any way I want to and don't have to worry about it. God's good. God's merciful. God's kind. And so, you know, we take a lot of true facts, but we 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 ignore what the Bible calls the whole counsel of God. And before you know it, man, we are we are believing things that are not really in the Bible, even though even though we have scriptures to back up everything. But anyhow. You know, Proverbs 16, 6, man, I can remember when this, this proverb jumped out at me back in the 70s, and I, I started digging back then. Proverbs 16, 6 says, in mercy and truth, uh, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, a person departs from evil. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, I just, I will never, ever forget. Now, see, I didn't know what the fear of the Lord meant back then. Uh, I thought the fear of the Lord was, was the negative kind of thing, where you were afraid that God was going to hurt you. Well, it's kind of interesting. The word atonement comes from the Hebrew word kephar, and the word kephar means to smear or to cover something. And, you know, uh, uh, in, in the New Testament, the word atonement, in reference to what Jesus did for us, is only used one time in the book of Romans. And and in the Greek language, that's not the word atonement. That, I, I don't know why the uh, translators chose to put the word atonement there, because we don't. Our sins are not covered in Jesus. Our sins are washed away. They're eradicated. They no longer exist. Uh, they're carried away. I mean, uh, we have no association with any of our sins, past, present, or future, anymore, because because they have been settled. So we don't have atonement. But I remember when I first read this scripture, and it said, in mercy and truth, atonement uh, is provided for iniquity. And I thought, see, see, man, mercy and truth will, will get you free from sin, whereas the fear of the Lord will just make you stop committing sin and make you depart from sin. But, you know, I found out that I totally misunderstood those words. So what it's saying is that in mercy and truth, you can experience a covering for iniquity. Now, I understand that, again, in, in Jesus, we don't have a covering. Our sins are washed away. But the question is not what has God provided for us. The question is, what am I experiencing in my own heart? Am I just experiencing the sense is like, yeah, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, yes, man, I, I, God loves me. I don't see how he does. I don't see why he does. And so, you know, I'm I'm rotten on the inside, but my sins are covered up. God doesn't have to look at them. That's kind of the way many people look at 
at their involvement with God. Well, that is so destructive. It's so damaging. I, I, and it will make you never have confidence. The Bible says we need to come, uh, we need to draw near to God. We need to come before the throne of mercy and grace with, with confidence. But we, we don't come before mercy and grace uh, because we just want our sins polished over. You know, we talked about this last week about the fact that we have propitiation in Jesus. Now, the word propitiation, like a lot of words, it's, it's got a pretty vast meaning. And so most people look at the word propitiation and say propitiation is the satisfying of wrath. Well, that is sort of true, but that's really not how you would uh, translate or interpret that word. The propitiation is, yes, wrath is uh, uh, diverted, but it's diverted not because wrath has been satisfied, but because righteousness has been satisfied. The blood of Jesus makes us righteous, and because we have been made righteous, we never have to be afraid of, uh, of experiencing the wrath of God. Now, see, if faith works by love, this means I can always trust God no matter, you know, and you don't use this for an excuse. Trust me, you, you do not want to play these kind of games with God. You don't want to use this for an excuse. But even when you fail, you can pick yourself up. You can turn to God. You can draw near to him. You know he's going to be there ready to put your life back together. So mercy and truth, if that's all, if that's all you're getting is mercy and truth, then, well, you, you've got some sense of God not seeing your sins. But according to this scripture, but if you're functioning from the fear of the Lord, where you are seeking to protect this relationship with God, then you depart. That word depart comes from uh, the Hebrew word, word, uh, root word, sir. And, and, and that means to, uh, it's the ability to perceive a situation and see it in its fullness. In other words, you can understand why this, why this situation is, is going to destroy you and how, why you need to deal with it. And then, and, and, and in this word, it literally means you can have, you can, create a connection between heaven and earth, and you can experience perfection here in this life. And then, then finally, it means that, that through the repentance that comes through this experience, that you can experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I want to challenge you. Go online, find you, find you a, a, a word search tool, and just search the phrase, or, or better yet, get you a blue letter Bible on your phone. It's free. Uh, you can do you can do uh, research in the original language, but just look up the phrase uh, "fear of the Lord." And I'm telling you, you're going to find close to 80 scriptures, and all of them are very, very positive. All of them tell you about how the fear of the Lord brings long life, it brings wealth, it brings satisfaction, it brings peace, it brings. Uh, you know, all of these benefits, why? Because when we are guarding our, our relationship with God, and when we don't want to do anything to happen in our life that can negatively affect our relationship with God, then, uh, uh, then the real truth is we're going to walk a path that is going to keep us in the very best life that, that God has made possible for us. Listen, I want to encourage you. I've got a great series. If you become a world changer with us, go to my website, impactministries.com. 
uh, click on the World Changers tab, find out about it. Help me, help me bring one billion disciples to the Lord Jesus. Share this message with everybody that you think will help, and I'll be talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.